Hi, this is Paul Jenkins, and you are listening to Heroes Home Base Podcast. Boom. That was excellent. My guy. You would think I've done that before. What's going on, guys? This is Rob. Hey, this is Rich. Hey, this is Mark. Mark, what you drinking? Water? Ginger ale. Diet ginger ale. (laughs) This angel envy envy? Envy with in tandem is actually quite a nice combo. I would be drinking my bourbon, but uh, Kim got super pissed at me uh, a couple weeks ago, and I went downstairs, and she dumped it all down the drain. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I'll tell you this, uh, diet... Ginger ale at room temperature is also quite the uh, combination. My God, that makes me want to get sick, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you that I threw up for the first time yesterday? I threw up for the first time since I was 15. The last time I threw up was because I ate Charlie's Steakery at Northland Mall. Wow, lucky and, you, man. And I threw up. That was I was 15. That was the last time I threw up. I threw up yesterday because I drank some milk. And I guess it's just, it's so hot in my apartment, I guess it wasn't as cold. I don't know what it was, but it did not agree with my stomach. And I threw up in my bed. I have not thrown up in 20 years. Holy shit. I told, I'm telling you, I was so, it's kind of scary. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I know it's coming. Yeah. You get that acidic taste in your mouth and you're like, oh shit. Close your eyes. Cause here it comes. I almost threw up yesterday because I watched Jaws 3D. <laughs> Surprised uh, Dennis Quaid had a career after that one. Anyway, I didn't know there was a Jaws three. I didn't know there was a two. I'm glad we're recording this this conversation. Hey, you know what? This is the real life shit. Daughter's having a full on meltdown upstairs. Why, Amelia? Why? Because she missed. Because she needs uh, her uncle, her uncle Mark. That's why. That's right. I know. I can't. She's gonna be a little vanilla love muffin. I can't even wait. I can't even stand it. <laughs> Well, other than all that fine information, how else are we doing this evening, fellas? I'm excellent. I'm a little tired, but I'm um, doing well. Uh, helped a friend move this weekend, and it was hot as hell, you know, and had to do the grass cutting and all that good stuff. You know, got to keep up appearances. It's hot in the city here, too. It's been 90s forever, so I'm not going to complain too much because, you know, we'll blink and it'll be two feet of snow on the ground. No, I, fin- I finished Mad Love and I bought uh, The Killing Joke. So that's the next book that I have to read is The Killing Joke. Dude, I envy you the speed in which you read books. You're almost as bad as Kim. I'm sorry. <laughs> Show quitter, Kim. Yes. I love, I mean, these books are so well written. So I finished Mad Love and I'll tell you, Harley Quinn, she was already a, just a tad bit messed up before the Joker got to her. I mean, it was so, there are moments in throughout Mad Love that I got goosebumps because it was so well written, especially when they wrote from the Joker's perspective. I got goosebumps because it was, it it was great. I I told uh, Dr. Doug about that one. Yeah. I'm on chapter 10. So I'm, I'm not really, not even halfway, but uh, I did finish Court of Owls and I absolutely loved it. Greg Cox nailing it. I was, I was, uh, I actually went back and reread the Scott Snyder run in the new 52 i think it was issues one through 14 or one through 17 somewhere in there but it just really laid the context of the final battle of greg's book and it was it was awesome this past weekend was san diego comic-con and um 
I was able to take part and host Jeff Smith, the creator of Bone. He had three three days, right? Three live events signings that he did that I hosted for him and his crew, and that was pretty damn spectacular. Great guy. Absolutely, man. That was great. Great guy. And man, he loves his fans. And it was completely international all over the world. People tuning in to watch that. And um, he's just, he's just awesome. I I was mesmerized just watching him sketch and, you know, dedicate all these books. And they had a phenomenal. In the, in a Sharpie of all things too, right? Like, oh man. Yeah. Just to watch a regular standard Sharpie. Yeah. So that was a, once in a lifetime opportunity. And I, you know, that was, I really appreciate uh, them giving me the opportunity to help them with that. And uh, shout out to Gib Bickle, you know, our man from the laughing ogre kind of set that up. And uh, thanks Gib. I believe um, I'm not going to quote any dates, but I believe Jeff is going to be at the ogre sometime soon. And that should probably be another, that'll probably be another live stream uh, live from the ogre. So I think we'll get a heck of a lot more traction than um, you are obsolete got just because of his local status. Yeah. And I know a lot of young kids started bone over this quarantine. So yes, they had all kinds of cool uh, deals through uh, boneville.com and the cartoon book stuff that they, they were signing for people and it was, it was awesome. So shout out to Cartoon Books and Jeff Smith, his wife, Ajaya, his uh, guy, Tom, and uh, Kathleen. They were awesome to work with. So You got to work with the executives, huh? Yep. The four-person crew of Cartoon Books. So Sweet. I didn't realize they had those like kids' books coming out. Like It's quite a inventory they've built recently. Yeah. I know since the I want to say during the pandemic, the new Smiley Adventures came out in paperback and he had had it released in hardback. Um, But yeah, the paperback came out. I don't know. There's just something about seeing a guy sketch his characters from the past 30 years, like just real quick with a Sharpie marker. It was just unbelievable. I thought it was cool to just for you were able to hang with him and we got to you know, work with Hammaker as well. And that was, that was a pretty cool. Well, Steve jumped in the chat and was, he was there watching it. So that was cool. He dropped, he name dropped Steve quite a few times when they were looking at the colored editions that he did and what he did for Rassel also. It was pretty awesome. All right. So anything else going on guys before we uh, kind of delve into the uh, details of tonight's show? No, let's get right to it. All right. So we have, um, I'm really excited about this guest. You know, I've been excited about all of our guests. Um, they just seem got, to keep going up a level, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's really nice. Uh, so we have Paul Jenkins joining us tonight. Woo! The uh, writer of, you know, some small X-Men characters origin story. You know, I mean, he's had his hand in everything dc stuff marvel stuff independent stuff um so what rich he had some constantine run for a while he had spider-man for about six years obviously wolverine origin uh he had alters which is an aftershock book from a couple years back right he and then he got an eisner award for in what was it he marvel knights he yeah he was the uh writer of the inhumans during the marvel Knights run yes that's right Inhumans and um, has been around, I would say, comic books 
and comic entertainment since kind of his first job was with uh, Kevin Eastman with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He did a lot of stuff on the licensing side and he was with them when they were making the movie. And yeah, he's published some YouTube chats with Kevin that are fantastic. They just yeah, sit I highly and talk around. Listening to those, yeah. Four hours of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thank you. <laughs> Mark, you're looking healthy, man. Am I? Christ. Ah. I feel like my body's going is out of control. Like I don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, I, I feel right, like he's, he is here. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey guys, how are you doing? Paul, hello, Jenkins. Paul Jenkins. How are you? All right, hold on one second. I'm trying to just test everything. All right. About to say, are you not dressed? You don't want to turn your camera on? <laughs> I will. I'll get there eventually. I just have to. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out what, what's wrong with my video here. Uh, I don't know why it's not working, to be honest. Start just, my video. Okay. There he is. There he is. Hello. Oh, boy, Look at that beautiful guy. Hey, guys. Guy. I'm, uh, I'm just getting tea. You got to hang on because I've got tea cooking. right? Now. <laughs> that is the largest tea mug I've ever seen. He says, cheers, you all, because I live in the South. Like, Hell, yeah. <laughs> I, I realized that. the other day that I was on a um, – I was on one of these with someone and I had a cup and I'm drinking my cup of tea and it was a very nice podcast. And I realized that on my mug, it said a giant cup of shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, madam. Anyway, let me just go get my tea. Hang on. Sure. You're good. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. What was that? We were at the beach that one time and there was just a regular white mug and it was just plain. And then, at the very bottom of it, when you're drinking out of it, it just said douchebag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, Paul, do you, do you play instruments? I see you have some instruments back there. Yeah. Yeah. I came to America as a musician. So Did I you? I taught music and drama to learning disabled children when I first came here. and then That is sweet. I ended up doing um, comic books. And that was funny because I studied to be a filmmaker. So Hell yeah. Couldn't work out what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know. <laughs> Just cover all the arts. It's good. Just cover everything, yeah. basically. And now I do game design and all kinds of crazy stuff. I say we just started off with your uh, fairy quest thing that we uh, we promoted that on our Facebook page. And uh, why don't you give us a little insight on that, man? That looks sweet. Okay. Well, do you guys want to start a thing, or are we just going? Just oh, we going. Are, we're just going. We're just going. I can okay. I can edit I can edit from here, man. We're good. Cool. We can just shoot the shit. Well, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about fairy quest then. Um, so fairy quest was something that I did. I started in 2012 with Umberto Ramos and he and I had done, um, we had done spectacular Spider-Man together and a few other books. And we did a book called revelations that we really liked. It was a really unusual book. And it was a murder mystery that was set in the Vatican. And the cool thing about doing that, you know, we do like monthly books and for, for five issues, nobody guessed what the ending would be, which I thought was pretty cool. No one even came close to what the ending was. And so nice. we had a pretty good mystery on our hands. Hell yeah. And so after that, you know, Umberto and I had talked about doing something that was set in a world that I created called Fablewood. Okay. And there was an original story for Fablewood. And the idea behind it is it's like a, a fictional world. It's a forest where all of the stories that have ever been told, like live inside this place but they're, they're divided by genre borders. So you've got like science fiction and fantasy and children's stories and things like that. And in the original story, which we ended up printing, um, it was called Fiction Squad. And it was about a guy who was uh, the first 
He's the main character in a, in a chapter one of an old novella that went out of print. Right? So he hadn't had a job in a hundred years. And so he, he can't get any work. So he decides to skip the genre board and he goes to where all the nursery rhymes are because he realizes they're all crime scenes. So he gets there and like Jack and Jill is a crime scene and Humpty Dumpty's a crime scene. Yep. Ah. And so he finds that the women are the most uh, important characters in children's stories. He basically finds out the queens and the witches are the mob and someone drops a house on the Wicked Witch of the East and there's a war between the queens and witches, right? So <laughs> oh my Fiction Squad was a really cool book and I did it um, with Ramon Bax, who I did Civil War with. And then, uh, you know, Umberto and I wanted to do a book called Fairy Quest, which is uh, also set in the world of children's stories where Red Riding Hood of the Wolf live in this really fascist environment. They're, they're made to tell their story and if they don't tell it, then they get their minds wiped all the characters in children's stories, you have to tell your story properly. And they kind of love each other and they're not supposed to. And so they decide to escape and they go away to freedom on the yellow brick road to a place called the real world that they've heard of um, that Peter Pan tells them about. But along the way, they now kind of begin to see the deterioration as they don't tell their story. And um, they end up crossing the genre borders and they're, they're in the one that we're about to do, uh, they're going to find their way into the crime realm and the horror realm and mm. realize, Oh no, this is just like not what we expected. You know? Um, oh, wow. That so is it's awesome. a really cool book, but it, you know, Umberto's art was amazing. And then we're at the transitional point now. So Umberto does the covers now and we've got a new artist in Mike Bowden and he will transition the artwork at the moment. They're going into Wonderland and they get down there and the place is in decay. And when they come out the far side of the looking glass, they find uh, their first genre border and they enter the, the world of a different genre. So it's cool. That it's is really good sweet, book. dude. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Well, and uh, we, we, uh, I, I had done two Kickstarters and the issue I had a little bit with Kickstarter was that I had two, twice I had fulfillment partners and they, they killed me. They were so bad. And mm. I, I almost said never again. But I think that that book and this form of publishing is really cool. And so I am doing it again. Uh, but this time I will never let anyone do for my fulfillment. It'll just be me and my company. So Nice. So, Paul, yep. can you tell us, when did you first fall in love with comics? Um, you know, okay, so that's, that's a difficult one to answer. And I can tell you when I was first exposed to them. Um, okay. I was a little boy living on a farm and I lived in the back end of nowhere. Um, my dad left when I was about five years old and he was gone and my mum cleaned a farm for a, house, uh, for a farmer and we lived at the bottom of the hill. Um, so if you've ever read The Origin of Wolverine. Oh you know, yeah, I was just about that, to say. <laughs> the kid at the bottom of the hill is me basically. Okay. And that's what I wrote about. And so I, I, my, my brother and I had quite a thing where we'd live in a house with no electricity um it was like a little old cottage but it didn't have any electricity half the time and no hot water and no food and we would look up at the farm with a light streaming and think man you know that'd be nice uh and it was a very strange so a lot of origin and wolverine was written about my experiences um you know like for example we could play with the the farmer's kids but we couldn't go to the birthday parties you know um because there's a class system over there. And so it's pretty interesting kind of environment to grow up in. Um, and so in there, my grandmother in London would send us a big tube of comics once a month and it would, it, we would like die for it. And it would have the reprints of the old American Spider-Man and, and Daredevil. 
and, wow. some, and some British comics as well. So the two characters I knew were Spider-Man and Daredevil. Nice. And um, I thought Spider-Man was in London. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. And so if, you, if you've ever read my Spider-Man run that I did with Peter Parker, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's worth going back to look at because I would do an awful lot of single issue stories. And there's one, there's one or two books in there that people love to talk about um, and they bring to me to sign. And one of them um, is about a little kid he's a, a black kid that lives at the end of, of the, the bad side of town. Like, you know, and his, his mom has drug issue and his dad's gone, uh, possibly in jail, you know, and, and somebody has, he has an aunt and uncle who are trying to see if they can get custody of him. And he has this one card that he keeps that has Spider-Man on it. Right. And so he pretends that he's Spider-Man's secret psychic and everything that Spider-Man says, which is all really positive, are all the positive role models in his life. So like his, his, headmaster and his uncle and there's a there's a quote from Epictetus and Martin Luther King and so this kid picks it up and all the things that Spider-Man says to him are all things that are said by the positive people in his life and to cut to the chase in the end Spider-Man comes one more time and 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 he, he's just he has to leave and Spider-Man says you gotta grow up now and Spider-Man reveals himself to the little boy and of course under the mask Spider-Man is a black man and he was actually uh, modeled on uh, Alan Iverson, the basketball player, okay, because that yeah. kid would see himself as Spider-Man, right? Like I did. I thought Spider-Man was in London. Yeah, right. British. <laughs> Why would I not, right? Right, right. right. Paul, one of the things, I was really excited to talk to you because kind of when we interview folks, the trajectory of my questions are always, how did you write yourself into your stories? Like, what do you, what's your internal process and how do you kind of put what, put your soul on the page? And I'm listening to your videos and I'm like, I listened to your origin video. Of course, I listened to your Eastman videos and your chats and I'm like, all right, we can already skip through all that introductions. Cause you've already said, I write myself into my work. You're like, I think you said your wife was Mary Jane. You were Spider-Man. It's like, that's, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I mean, I do a thing on the Meta Studios uh, YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to go back to it very soon as well. We're just in the middle of a Kickstarter right now, so we're very, very busy with that. But um, I do this thing called The Story Behind the Story, right? And every single issue just about, like everything, is based on something that really happened. Uh, if you take my Hellblazer run, um, half the time I would just call my brother in Britain and say, what are you doing? And he'd, say, <laughs> he'd tell me what he was doing. Because my brother still lives on, in, in what's essentially a scrap heap in on a piece of land no electricity nothing you know wow. like you can take the boy from the country but you can't take the country from the boy and it's a very strange thing for me because i was no one with nothing i have the best immigrant story i came here with 50 dollars and never went back wow and wow. and um i think it's pretty interesting that i come from, i live in two worlds you know I, I always have i mean my family are all there they're all on the land and they're all a bunch of pikeys and people assume me to be a really successful person. Um, so they would have assumed that I come from such and such an environment. And they certainly wouldn't assume I come from, from the environment that I did, you know? And um, so I have had a very interesting, like and a ridiculously interesting life. It sounds um, like it. That's incredible. What brought you to the States? And especially you're in Georgia now. So why I'm surprised not New York or LA, why Georgia? 
Um, so I'm not a city guy for one thing. That's why not New York and LA. I grew up in okay. the city, mate. No? I mean, there's no way, right? I'm not. I'm not from there. I've lived in LA twice, and I hated every second of it. Oh um, wow. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, the fact is that I probably, um, I was in Massachusetts, you know, I came here, first of all, you know, doing music and drama, and then um, I got a job, I met a couple of guys at a black and white comic, because you saw in my interviews with Kevin, and it ended up being the Ninja Turtles, right? Right, right, right. By default, I ended up becoming the third employee, technically, of the the company over there. Um, they had a guy doing licensing and some lady who was an office manager. And then there was me. And the next thing you know, this thing exploded. But then, you know, I, I made my own life. Uh, and, and White George is actually kind of a funny, interesting story because I'm a lifetime athlete, right? And so I played soccer um, all my life. And you will find this in the pages of my Spider-Man run. Um, round about when I was just before I got popular within humans and just when I was doing Hellblazer, um, I broke my neck playing football oh, and soccer and I was just, it changed my life. Um, I spent maybe three or four weeks in a bathtub, just trying not to throw up and I couldn't lift my head uh, without passing out. And I wasn't sure if that would be the rest of my life. I'm um, so bad neurological damage and I still deal with a lot of vertigo. So if you look at uh, my run in Spider-Man, there's a story about a character called Fusion and it's about him making Spider-Man think that he's broken his neck. And that, that's a dark time, man. That's a difficult time. So I went through one winter in Massachusetts and I had previously been indestructible and I, I couldn't do it. My neck was all smashed up. And so I got in my car and I got my dog and my computer and my Blues Brothers cop car. It was a giant, giant Blues Brothers car. And I pointed south and just started driving around. And I ended up in Atlanta wow. and I thought, oh, this is where they do the Dragon Con. And I'd already been in America for years, right? And I was down here for a few months, day to day, a young lady who, who was a professional dancer. <laughs> and that, okay. that didn't end up so well. So I moved on to the next girlfriend I had was the most beautiful woman I've ever met. Like, there's an order that this goes in, right? Just so you know, guys, it goes, <laughs> it goes like actress, stripper, model, and then elementary school teacher. And so my wife, yes. <laughs> yes. my wife is an elementary school teacher and, wow. uh, and she's beautiful. And, and so, and she has nothing to do with this business. And so I met her here and I stayed here in Georgia and now we have two children and, um, you know, I've lived here for a while now. Wow. So Paul, we got, connect, we got connected with Gib because we're really close with Gib at the Laughing Ogre. What's your big connection to Columbus? Because he said that you used to come to the Mid-Ohio Con back when that was a thing. God rest his soul. Yeah. And uh, like you did your book Alters with a Columbus backdrop with an ogre icon on it. That was super sweet. So like <laughs> give us give us a little uh, taste of your Columbus love. So back in the day, right, Columbus, Ohio, it, it was great because it was such a contradiction, right? We used to come for the Mid-Ohio Con. And um, so one of the things that I do with people, I, I'm, I'm a more of a pragmatic person, right? I, I work in the comic industry, and this is probably disappointing to people, but I'm not a massive comic book fan. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean to say I don't love them. I appreciate the form and I appreciate really good storytelling in comics. Just like I appreciate the same thing in film and television and video games. But it doesn't mean to say that I always, I always read them or I spend all my time consuming that. I'm too busy, right? right. I can't. I don't have time for that. Right. But what I would say is that um, we would come down. I I love comics as a form, 
and I kind of loathe the business. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just like any other creative business, it's difficult. Right. And what I would always say to people is, and, and Gib knows this, uh, I would always say to people, hey, if you want to actually work out how to do this for a living, you probably need to call the guys down at Laughing Ogre because they actually do it properly. And one of the things that was important about what would happen over at that store was that you would walk in and they wouldn't really sell you up on Marvel and DC. I mean, they knew they could sell that, but they, right. their sellers were you know, black and white comics, independent publishers. And Gib told me one thing, two or three things that, that they would do. One of the things is that Gib is the face of it and would you walk in and someone says, hi, how are you? As opposed to some hell's angel that says, get out of my store, right? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm gonna tell you the, the, the contrast with this, you know? I was in uh, Vancouver, I was working in Vancouver on a video game when the day that Wolverine Origin came out. And I rarely, if ever, go into a comic book store and say who I am. But I thought, well, I might go down and see how that's doing today because I was quite interested. It felt like it was going to be a really big event. Right. So I wandered down to this comic book store in the center of Vancouver. And as I walk in the door, there's a lady in there and she's got her son. And she is saying to the guy, hey, I, I heard that there's an origin of Wolverine and my son is interested. And this guy berated her and said, Jenkins is a hack. It's a stupid idea. You don't want to buy that rubbish and basically sent her out the door with nothing. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, you know, that's why I think this industry can be so challenging, right? It's not run professionally. There's, you know, I've worked with the mainstream. It's like no one is. Very few people are qualified to do that job they're they're fans of comics they're not exactly english majors right right and so you know i want to make something that has a really high quality and a big you know is really important and so for the longest time you know you just the work was done with glorified traffic managers and that shouldn't be what we do with any creative industry we should do the best work that we can possibly do right so Absolutely. for a glorious few years between marvel knights all the way through to probably civil war they just let me do that. And that was great. And then right afterwards, they started saying, we want this now and we want that. We want this. And it's like marketing went back to driving what the content was. And that just makes no sense. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, you were pretty consistent, at least when you and Kevin were having your conversation. It was kind of like how Hollywood, you know, screwed with the Turtles and movies in general, and then kind of how, you know, you were upset that profits seemed to just screw over the creative process. And it's like, let the creators do what they're, what they're intended to do. Well, if you go back to Marvel Knights, you know, they were in chapter 11 bankruptcy and they were going very close to chapter seven. They were going to go out of business. And so they came to people like myself and said, can you please help? You know? Yeah. And they let me do, and they gave me Inhumans, man. That thing had never sold. It never once sold a copy. Right. And all of a sudden, we won an Eisner Award. They hadn't won one for years. Yeah. And, and they sort of went, oh, yeah, okay, do a bunch more. And I said, oh, I want to do the Century. And they yelled at me because they didn't yeah. want to do it. Just don't do what you want. Don't, don't do, do what you want. You want. <laughs> right. And so I went, I went back and I sort of said, look, I'll tell you, I mean, again, it's, it's something that I did speak about on my podcast, on my, uh, on my YouTube channel, but I turned them down on Spider-Man for two or three years because I, I said, like, I don't even know what to write. Yeah. I'm confused by that character. So um, then they let me write what I wanted to, which made sense. Just single issue stories where, where we, we write really happy stories. Um, make, we, make the, the, like, we make it humorous, for God's sake. Like Spider-Man's supposed to be funny, right? He's supposed to be yeah. really good at it, you know? And there was this great period where they just let us write these great stories and, and um, 
and then after a while they just started telling me well we want you to do this and we want five issue trays and we want this and you just go you, you guys are like the emperor's new clothes you know you die because of these reasons you bring us back to save you and then you die for the same reasons and then you right. bring us back to save you and then you die for the same reasons it's like stop it it's just a big cycle you know that's when i came to first know you was through the marvel knights which you do with the inhumans because that's when i really around that time like um 98 through 99 is when I first started getting really heavily into comics. And I knew a little bit about the Inhumans through the Fantastic Four cartoon, but I thought now as an adult, and I can, I can better articulate that I think it's so awesome that you took this family that's just about as old as the Fantastic Four, and you just, at the time, you just brought them in with such finesse. At the time, 1998, 99, you brought them up to date, and I thought that was so cool. That's when I first come to know your work. Yeah, I think it's, um, the, and again, the part that like really upsets fans to some extent is that I'd never heard of them before. Like when they asked me to do them, I went, sure, who are they? Oh, wow. Um, and and wow. this is true, true story, right? Uh, they sent me a couple of five page Jack Kirby stories and I said, okay, I got it. Wow. And when I wrote a 12 issue maxi series that we did. They never edited word one. They never asked me to change anything. Um, Part of the reason why we gave them a new voice is because I didn't know anything about comics. Mm. And I felt that that was always my advantage. And so every time I would get these continuity laden things where they would tell me what to write, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. If you just let me write stories that have these characters in, I could do that in a heartbeat. And I think you can pick any character that I probably have never heard of and I can almost show you the process, right? Like right. it's almost worth doing now. So we'll give it a shot, right? Okay. Give me a give me an X man that I probably haven't heard of. Go, Mark. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Shadowcat. Great, because great. Okay, because I have never. I don't know Shadowcat. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Right, so then tell me, what's Shadowcat's like power? She can phase through solid objects. She can phase through solid objects. Yes. Right? And so. I know I'm, I'm probably not going to do this right, but I play this game with my students when I, when I was teaching uh, uh, filmmaking, where we play this kind of like, whose line is it? And so you give me Shadow Cat and she can phase through solid objects. And the first thing that you look at as a storyteller is you say, all right, what, what could possibly be a challenge or an interesting thing for that character? You know, if you can phase, if you can move through solid objects, does that mean that you can't keep yourself together? Do you have trouble? Um, I, I mean, and this is just an example, right? Do you have trouble becoming solid again? Do you, you know, well, okay, I'm going to write that story. I'm going to write one where she can't keep herself together, right? Nice. It is a metaphor for nice. a person who is struggling with, say, a mental health issue or cannot keep their life together, like, in all of that. So we would take an issue, and I've never heard of Shattercat, right? We would take an issue, like, uh, you know, she phases through objects. We go, great, that's cool. It's eye candy. It's fun. It's interesting. But what if she can't, what if she starts to having trouble bringing herself back to a solid form? But then why don't we use that as a metaphor for someone that can't get their life together and then we are telling an interesting story, right? So in those days, I would do that process all the time. And there's a funny anecdote about Karnak the Shatterer where yes. he's the guy that presses something and it, and it shatters because right. he can see the, the weakness in something. Right. And so I wrote him as the advisor to Black Bolt, who could yep. see the weakness in, in human society. And the fans were like, Jenkins is a genius. And I said, oh, sorry, I thought that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> because I, I wasn't destroyed by having read thousands of copies. 
and different stories. And right. so I could think of a way that made sense for these characters. If you say, I mean, I had a fresh take. And, and there was always a lot of resistance from within the mainstream where they would say, you know, we, we love the way you do this. But it was almost like wizardry to them, I think. Mm-hmm. We love yeah. what you do, Paul. We love that you're writing these stories. How do you do it? And the answer was, well, I do it by not reading thousands of comics. And they say, yeah, that sounds groovy. Anyway, read all of these. And I would say, no, <laughs> stop it. I'm not. You're person. screwing with the formula that you want to work so well. Yeah, right, right. So crazy. I love that you're, I mean, when I hear you talk about just that, that simple steps, and one of the reasons I love the comics that it did was when they were relatable, it was super powerful. Like, when it even if it was you know someone like superman where you know he's a god but if you can make it somehow relatable and that's why i think spider-man is just a huge success yeah but i also think you can do that with anybody right so i'll give you an example of of superman right superman is raised um superman is raised as an orphan he's raised by two people that don't have his powers but they love him Mm -hmm. and so i have a story that i pitched to dc these are the kind of stories that we should do yeah. And they won't do now, right? So I might as well give away the story because I could care less at this point. Um, Kevin Smith would say, take notes. He's about to give you gold. Yeah, take notes. <laughs> um, so, so I pitched a story to them about parents. I love the idea of doing the parents in the DC universe, right? To look at all these parents, right? You got the parents of, of Superman and it's, it's not his birth parents, right? It's, uh-huh. his, it's his, his adoptive parents. And so I had a story about him being in the Fortress of Solitude and having all these, these artifacts. And, and there was one most powerful artifact that he brought, that he had from his childhood. And so he's got these artifacts that he comes from this foreign planet, you know, planet from, and he's got like stuff that speaks to him and time travel right. devices and all of that. And he, and he keeps in the center of the Fortress of Solitude the most important and powerful artifact. And what you find out is it's the teddy bear that his the first little teddy bear that his mom gave him, Mrs. Oh, Kent. Oh, yes. That's the thing that grounds him as a human being. And that's the most powerful artifact, his humanity, even right. though he's, a, he's an alien, right? We want to read those stories. We'll cry at those stories. We'll love those kind of stories. And unfortunately, that would be the kind of story that, that back in the day, they go, do that without even thinking. And now they're like, well, it doesn't tie into a thing. And we're not sure if it makes any... And you go, look, man, I'm not, I'm probably not your person then at that point. Did they man. seriously tell you to kick rocks with that story? Oh, I have, I have about 60 that they just won't do because it doesn't, they, I don't think they think that those types of story mean anything anymore. In fact, those are the ones that have all the meaning. Absolutely, they do. Well, I guess that could go right into the question that we always ask is, <laughs> get ready, Paul. What is your current take on comics today, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well... <laughs> Um, I think that there's not a, I think it's a cyclical thing, right? I think that we're approaching the place that we used to be at before Marvel Knights, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I feel that it's driven by marketing. I don't feel that story wins. I think that, I think it's fractured. There's difficulties with the actual business itself. DC have moved away from Diamond, but Diamond were a monopoly and I don't care what they say. They were a monopoly for all of the time that they were the one distributor yeah. that delivered to, so they controlled the industry, you know, um, I wish that there was a s- straightforward understanding in the entertainment industry that the most powerful part of the in- industry is storytelling. Story mm-hmm. is everything. Yes. Story is about the fifth consideration of any creative corporation. I don't care if it's comics, film, television, whatever. Story is about the, 
you know, the number five. And so the way I look at comics right now, um, I'm very glad that DC initiated things like, you know, doing trades and yeah. getting away from some of these individual comics. I think that's a good thing. Um, um, I'm working on a digital interactive storytelling method right now. That's not a motion comic. It's not interactive. It's not, but it, you know, we need to do digital comics the way that they can work. Right. And then we can maybe print them later. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of ways in which comics are amazing. They're the oldest form of human artistic expression. Cave paintings are comics. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're hardwired into us and we want comics. Right. But the biggest problem that we have is the, the industry is antithetical to the creation of, of the story. It's it's primarily focused on things like, you know, which creators have a good social media following? What what does this mean? What's this event mean? There's a there's a non-sustainable kind of thing when you make Superman number one go a year and then you do Superman number one again or Spider-Man or whatever which way it is, you know. Yeah. These are these are little marketing ploys, but they're not the fundamental basis of any of this industry should be story. And it's not. So, you know, at some point I feel like they'll call me and go, we broke it again. Can you fix it? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have to completely agree with you. So, I mean, cause story cuts to theology, it cuts to philosophy, it cuts to history. It's like, it cuts to the narration we provide to ourselves every moment of every day. And it's like, that is the most essential thing, you know? And that's the thing that will transcend what's popular now or what's going to be popular in 10 years. It's like, that is actually what hits, you know, connects the heart and the mind. So I completely yeah, but we, agree. But we go one further, right? Which is what, what a story really is, is a mirror, right? So if mm -hmm. you hold up a comic book, mm -hmm. you're, you're holding up a mirror and you're looking right. at yourself. Any story will be that. And I want to point out that can also be video games, man. I, I've been in, I've been a person that innovated in storytelling and game design, right? So I kind of know a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, and the fact is, you know, that like our stories are mirrors held up to the human condition, and mm -hmm. we have to remember that. We have to know that. We have to see that story means something um, because it's really us. We are story. Every moment of your day is a story. And I'm, I'll point this out to you, you know, that there's four people here sort of sitting around talking. And at a certain point, if you were to walk away from this and go to, you know, to have something to eat or something or go tell someone what's happening, you're about to remember this moment yeah. and this juxtaposition of people as, as a story of your day. Yep. Everything you do is the memory of your day. It's a story of your day. Everything's a story. And so the fact that we cut out story from a storytelling medium is about as nuts as it gets, isn't it? It is, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, you mentioned kind of, kind of that dual world that you live in, right? So I, I came from the farm, but, you know, it's kind of these two different realities that I live in. And that's one of the reasons I really love, as you can probably tell, Batman, because it's like we always have that you know, darker side that we want to keep in balanced with the more lighter side. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of a guy I used to work with. He actually drew me a picture. Um, I can't remember what he made it on, but the like negative of it was like totally blacked out. And he's like, this is that. Cause we all would always talk things like good and evil and you know, why do good people, you know, stray sometimes he's like, there's a clean exterior, but then the opposite was like this dark, part of all of us you know that instinct and it was like constantly balancing that 
light and the dark, which is, but you can't really yeah, make you, sense of that without the stories. I agree. Did you know that I wrote a book called, uh, it was called Batman Jekyll and Hyde, right? And if you've never seen it, go yes. find it. Because it was about Harvey Dent. Uh-huh. And the idea was that there's no way that Harvey Dent went crazy because someone splashed acid on his face. Right, right, right. He was already he was already that person. He had the exterior finally matched the interior. Right. Yeah. You know, he was already that person. And so what we did was we made it clear that these these were part this was his life already. And in Batman Jekyll and Hyde, you find out that he had a I don't know if you guys know this, but like it's canon. He had a brother called Murray when he was a little kid, and Murray was a pyromaniac and a lunatic. And he accidentally killed Murray in a fire. He did. Wow. Because of that, he has this terrible guilt inside him that he killed his brother. And when he becomes Two-Face, this side, the, the damaged side is Murray. And he realizes that Murray is winning. Yeah. And so he thinks that he's under assault by Murray, the, the soul of his brother. You know, That's more of a story that we can attach to. Because some guy that gets splashed with acid and gets injured is just a guy that got injured. Right, right, right. right. You, you don't go crazy because you became an amputee, but you might have some issues with PTSD in the event that beca- you became an amputee. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, like when I read Origin, I like cried when the journal went in the fire at the very end. And I'm like, <laughs> damn it. That's why nobody knows the story. Yeah. And I'm like, and to hear you connect it to your real life, dude, it was everything from the overall story to the artwork was mesmerizing. And that stupid piece of shit in Vancouver did not know what the hell he was talking about. I just <laughs> <to tell> you <laughs> that. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't get upset by those kind of things. I thought it was a bit, a bit, bit of a contradiction where he's trying to sell. He's supposed to be in the business of selling things. Right. right. He didn't want to sell a book because he had some personal problem with it. It's like, stop it, man. Like, then just don't be a, an owner of a store. Right. But I do think that the origin of Wolverine was cool. One, it would, the, the pitch that I, I gave to them was a simple one, which is, why can't we have, why can't we say what his real name is, like where he grew up, which right. was Alberta, Canada, yep. and why he forgot. And he forgot because he had a healing factor. And so if you cut him, it heals. And so he had PTSD. He just had a bad traumatic event and his brain papered over the cracks and fixed it. And now he can't remember, right? The reason is because they didn't know why he'd lost his memory. Yeah. And yeah. I went, I thought it was because he had PTSD. And they went, say that again. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, I love Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. So you know I love John Constantine. So hmm. your run on Hellblazer, and like you said, like you just told little stories. You know, there was a few longer storylines, but you're going to think I'm crazy. But one of the ones that stood out to me was 115 in the red corner. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yes, I do know that story. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know Rob and Mark haven't heard this, but can, I want to hear you explain this story. <laughs> So the story is, uh, here's, here's sort of like an interesting and difficult situation to be in, right? Having been raised by a single mom with a, a very independent human being, an original women's liver, a bra-burning <laughs> member of the women's lib movement. <laughs> okay. Uh, my mom is a wacky, crazy, difficult, challenging, brilliant, energetic human being. She's everything. She's crazy and brilliant and so as a little boy i was immediately raised not i wasn't raised i was raised by freaking wolves right like i didn't right. i mean i just you know we weren't raised 
But there were certain things that my mum did that I think were amazingly helpful to everybody's life, my life. She would say, as a matter of course, we would play cowboys and Indians in the backyard. We go, blah, blah, blah. And she'd go, hey, I want to tell you something about the Indians and then tell us about Native Americans and how they were mistreated and what happened. And I'm like, shut up, mom, I just want to shoot. And, you know, right, right. And, and so at a certain point by osmosis, it became clear to me that I was a guy who was just flat out sort of feminist person that never understood why men and women do the same job and get paid a different wage. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a company, Meta Studios and my CEO is a woman. We have uh, more women in the co company. It's my company, but by design, it is representative of the world as we see it. Right. Nice. By the, by the same token, I uh, never understood prejudice. Right. I faced prejudice because as a little kid, we were basically the poorest children and we went to school with a bunch of affluent farmers' children. And so they were very prejudiced against the gypsy kids and that was fine. And no one knew that we would go home and basically be the, you know, be the gypsy kids. Right, and, right. and so growing up in that sort of environment, I feel like, um, so we'll get back to this story, right? The story in Hellblazer is about um, a, a girlfriend, his girlfriend, who has been physically poorly treated by an ex-boyfriend, right? There, yeah. There's always a story behind the story. I had a girlfriend and she, she had been physically abused by, and, and, it, and it upset me hugely. Yep. These are 20 years before Me Too, but Me Too is a thing. It's not a movement. It's a reality. It just should have been around right. anyway. It's just I'm so glad for right. it. Right, right. Black Lives Matter and all the things that are going on right now, I'm like, okay. Um, but I've always been in that place. It's just my unfortunate affliction is I don't like bullies, I don't like prejudice, and I don't understand this this rubbish, right? Yeah. So in the story, um, the the his girlfriend encounters kind of the ex-boyfriend, and she has been badly treated and she has that kind of triggering feeling of like this guy's bad to her but john doesn't step up and get in his face and he don't want to do that he don't want to be the defender and the knight in shine armor he wants her to, to do it himself but he, he finds a way to do it where essentially yeah. the ex-boyfriend becomes a woman yes <laughs> and he oh has boy. to feel it oh and he boy. feels it and he and he goes through it and he you know that is a thing that will provide understanding. And so when I look yeah. at my life, uh, having been that person, it's interesting. I came out with a book called Alters, which is- yep. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Right, so Alters is about, and it was something that I pitched to Marvel in DC and they would always say yes about that book and then they wouldn't publish it. Um, because they, they would tell me we can't do new characters and I would say, I do believe I created the century, so I think I'm gonna call bullshit on that. <laughs> and they wouldn't do it anyway. And so eventually I ended up doing Alters with Aftershock. and. As you may know, the, the main character is a transgender woman, right? Yep. But why that's not as significant as you might think is that I, I put a, a transgender character in the book called The Agency in 2000, right? It's not new to me. Right. We had a trans character called Sue. And the best part about Sue was that we never said she was a trans character. She yeah. just was. Mm. Right? And it was obvious. Why do I need to sit there and make a point? Now, it was okay that we wrote about a trans character because there was an interesting story to have been told with, with her. And it was that secret identities are very much a metaphor for elements of the experience that people go through when they're transitioning. They have a secret right. identity and then that identity, you know, so they've been keeping a secret identity for a while and this happens a lot, right? And so, you know, I, 
I have had this life of sort of being mystified by the stupidity of people. Um, I am. I am. I not... love that line. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. We'll be I'm forever not... mystified. Yeah, I'm unfortunately not the person that's easy because I think for myself. I'm not beaten by cognitive dissonance. I don't care for politics. I grew up in the punk era, and and. And for every person that tells me, you know, those Trumpy people, I'm like, yeah, look at your own cognitive dissonance, right? Make sure that you don't think a thing. For example, if you think that there is no such thing as global warming because you are Democrat, get a clue. The problem. There is no such. I mean, the, I, I should say, if you think global warming is real because you're a Democrat, get a clue. Because right. global warming is science, right? COVID is science. All of these things are science. Right. And yes, we are contributing to the, to the, to the burning of the planet but not because we are Democrats and we understand Correct. it or Republicans and we don't understand it. So we all need to take a look at ourselves and stop this bullshit. Yes. And, yeah, and when you politicize about, science, it's a huge problem. Yeah, hmm. we politicize anything, right? And so Doesn't give I'm, a shit. I'm very grateful that in this day and age for the last three or four years, we've now unpoliticized them so that, you know, our proportional representation, um, uh, the, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matters, these are social issues. They're not politics and people are trying right. to make them into politics, but they're not politics and they never have been. And so, you know, my writing has always covered that. And I think what was really kind of funny about Alters is that um, the first one was about a trans woman. The second was about a homeless woman, right? With two little boys, yeah. a homeless woman with two little boys. Who the hell do you think that was about? <laughs> Every single part of that. Right. It's written about my mum and my brother and I, yeah. right? I've been homeless. And so what was funny was I would write these articles at the end of Alters about trans people and I would interview them and they would help me learn more. And then I'd write about homelessness and a few people were like, who are you to write about trans people? You don't know. How dare you write homeless people? And I'm like, huh, funny. So in the end, I, at the last one, I said, well, who am I? I've been homeless. I've been so poor that I didn't know where we would possibly get food from. I've walked outside to pick an apple. I've lived, so that Constantine stuff that you see, almost everything in Constantine was, was my world. It was a bunch of crusties and punks. Yeah. That's where I came from. I loved it. I hate the purity test, right? It's like, well, yeah. who are you to write about this? Or maybe you have some legitimacy, but you're not legit enough. That just drives me crazy. Ugh. Yeah, I think, I think there's also something going on. We have to be very careful, right? I understand the frustration with somebody like Trump, and I'm, I'm not going to make this about politics because I don't do sure. politics. I understand the, the, the frustration with somebody like him because he's got moral clarity or, or sort of immoral clarity, right? And he's just the basic craphead that every politician is, right? Like every one of those that, you know, don't sit there and cast stones at Trump if you can't work out that the Democrats are very guilty in things like gerrymandering and messing around with campaign finance reform and stuff things that most people don't pay attention to right. they're all doing it man politics mass is incarceration a it's a self-enrichment scheme so sitting there and doing purity tests and saying well yep. you know listen i like everybody and i want to talk to everybody and if we cut off communication if i say i'm not going to talk to trumpy people or i'm not going to talk to blah 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 pick one right we're dead we need yeah. open communication, not silos and echo chambers. And everybody Absolutely. wants their echo chamber. Absolutely. We got until Preach, bro. Preach. Every start. <laughs> so, can, I can I tell you one more anecdote? Because I think sure. this is relevant. Sure. 
So I live in Georgia, right? And I lived, and I want to tell you how proud I am of my racist friends. You want to hear that one? <laughs> oh, I played shit. golf with a bunch of guys, right? And they were racist as hell. And I, it used to drive me crazy. And so it's difficult for me because I call it out 100% of the time. So I had these guys that were very racist and they would say these off-color comments. And one day I'm sitting in the clubhouse and one of them said the N-word across and everybody laughed. And there were two kids sitting at a table eating and I stood up and I went to the course manager and I said, I'm giving up. I'm done. I've tr I've, the, when I would play with the guys, they would, say, they would say something like that. And I would say, come on, guys. And they'd say, yeah, sorry, buddy. We know you don't like that. And I'm like, I think you're missing the point. It's yeah, not a question right. whether I like it. And it's not a question of being respectful to people, you know, of different ethnic backgrounds. It's self-respect. You're not yeah. being respectful to yourself. So anyway, bottom line, um, the, the course manager said, I want you to take six months away and please come back. And I told him I'm not coming back. And then for six months, I knew I wasn't coming back. And my wife knew that for six months, I would stare at the ceiling at night. I just was so frustrated because I felt like I was giving up, Yeah. but I didn't feel like I'd get anywhere. And then um, six months into it, I finally came around and I went, well, all right, I'll, I'll go back. And I went back and one of my buddies, and remember, they're my friends, man. They're racist as hell. It's still my friends. There's still, still people that have good in them. Don't say because they do one stupid thing yep. that they're not right. good, that they don't have the capacity for good. That's not true. Right. And so one of the biggest offenders was also this big dude. And he brings me over and he said, hey, Jenks, wait, you know, can I have a drink with you? And I said, yeah, man. He bought me a beer and he said, I want to tell you something. I hated you. And I said, oh, I didn't hate you, buddy. And he said, yeah, he said, I just thought you were preaching at us and you were so moral and you kept going on. He said, about three or four months, you disappeared. And then one of us went, where'd he go? And we found out from the pro through the course manager that you left because you didn't like the racism. And I've got to tell you that we talked about that and we were like, we miss Jenks. And good for him because he stood up for his conviction. And I didn't yell at them. I didn't scream at them. I just left. And they found out about it. And so he said to me, so we wanted to let you know that now we're going to try the best we can. And we, when someone says a racist comment, we turn to each other and we all go, we don't do that anymore. Yep. So guess what? I'm proud of them. They tried. They're all men in their forties and fifties that were giving it a shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And hopefully partly because of my consistency in my relationship with them. So don't say that we can't change this or fix this. We can. And a lot of it comes from entertainment. I'm not going to preach at anybody. I'm never going to write preachy stuff. I'm just going to write people. And once we see our common humanity, we'll yeah. probably be okay. Yeah, man. Finding the humanity is key. Absolutely. Paul well, we're all, pe we're all people. Imagine that. Right. 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 <laughs> well, it's like you think about it. Some of the worst atrocities are rooted in dehumanizing people. Because it's like as soon as you can dehumanize people, it's like, you can justify anything. Yep, because people yeah. can justify anything. So when we look at dehumanizing people, let's make sure as we do this, you know, are we dehumanizing people who are, say, on the right? Are we on the left? Right. I'm not on the left, but I, want, I feel like I'm saying like, I am. I'm not. I'm not even in the middle. I am outside of this bullshit. I do right. not live inside this crap. Right. But I will tell you that if you're going to de dehumanize somebody for being messed up or racist or whatever, that creates a problem, right? And sure. so... The, the, the built-in sexism, the built-in misogyny, the built-in racism, I get it. It's awful, and we need to stop it, but we will stop through communication and agreement. We're never going to stop by styling ourselves up and right. having a civil yep. war. 100%. Yeah. We'll yep. kill ourselves then. 100%. Mm -hmm. So I have one, like, sort of related question, because there's a huge debate, I think, just socially in our country 
if there really is a quote class system, right? And coming from the other side of the pond where there's a more rigid class system, like how does that experience been kind of coming from that social environment and then coming over here where we, we say things like middle class, but everybody kind of has their own ambiguous definition of that. And how does that maybe contribute to your creative process where it's like, okay, what is this? And I know this. Well, I think that we see there's a class system, right? I mean, we've got to be blind if we don't think there is. And and, um, it's to do with money in this country. And they've perpetuated this myth about how money means something important. And if you got money, it means something and you need it and you want it. And, you know, it's okay to kind of step on someone. I'll tell you something culturally that I thought was really interesting about America when I came here. And I love living here. I love America. Um, I thought it was really strange when I came here and they would talk about um, cheating at sports. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's bizarre. Like, no, I don't, that's so crazy. What, what you mean? Like, oh, he did a great job there. You see how he, he fooled the referee. And, and in Britain, it would be like, look, how dare he? He fooled the referee. Like, <laughs> send him away and never let him come back. And so, Culturally, America has these really interesting things that are a bit different. And um, I don't know why, but, you know, there is a class system here. And there's a class system in Britain. I just grew up on the bottom end of the class system there. And yet, I come to this country. And let me tell you who has white privilege on steroids. That would be somebody with a British accent. (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean, I do. I have white privilege on steroids because I can open my mouth and people are like, hey, man, how you doing? I like you. I'm friendly to you. I want to buy you a drink just because of my accent. So you can, sort, you can sort of see it. I come from like nothing. And then I make a, a, a career in here. And I'm now in this other world, right, where people look at me in a certain way. And I'm like, you know, if only you knew I'm this little snotty little gypsy kid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure you've said this a million times, but what are bring it back to the comics all-time favorite writers give me like top five um okay so i'm lucky enough to have been alan moore's editor oh wow (laughs) i was his editor on big numbers which was never finished and but i was also his editor initially on from hell nice Um, uh so i i and and i was also neil gaiman's editor so that's not bad oh wow (laughs) you're like that's not bad just you know it's not bad bad. um i am it's a weird thing, right? Because I often look at people like, uh, say, Tom King's doing a pretty good job. He did really well with Vision. And you ask yourself, why did they just let him do that? Sometimes I wonder, why did they let me do this thing for so long? They let me write whatever I wanted. And it was really successful. Right. And the moment they started telling me, now you got to write this, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't think I've got it, right? I'm not, I'm not the guy that does your crossovers. So I like Tom's work. Tom Taylor's doing really well. I like to see that. He's a good guy. I like Tom. Um, you know, but I'm eclectic. So I really used to love Larry Marder's Bean World. That used to crack me up. Okay, okay. <laughs> I like these really crazy, crazy comics. Um, I'm not your average guy, right? I used to like Bean World and a little comic called Steven. And, and I don't know, man, I, I just like what I like, you know, but I do say I'll hold up Alan and, and, and Neil as a great high standard of work. And I'm Absolutely. happy to see that Tom King and Tom Taylor are doing so well these days. You know, I think that's yeah. good. Yeah. So I have a question. We've kind of brought this up because it's still relevant to the fans. Where do you stand on the um, kind of the whole Zack Snyder Justice League thing and then him finally getting to 
the HBO Max deal? Where are you from that creator well, standpoint? So here's what I think is true, and and um, I'm probably not I'm probably not that difficult to read in this, right? Creators yeah. should be empowered, man. Like yes. you want to know that you want to know the central hub of content. It's not the idea. If it was the idea, then why were Marvel about to go into Chapter Seven bankruptcy when right. I got there? Yeah, Spider Man couldn't sell itself. They were about to cancel Spider Man. They had canceled Daredevil, and they let us come in with Marvel Knights. There were four of us. There was like Joe and Jimmy, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti did Daredevil with Kevin Smith, and they Kevin had canceled Smith, yeah. it, and the sales went through the ceiling. Yep, we did Inhumans that they could never give away, and we won an Eisner Award. Yeah, wow. Black Panther got published, and this is the bit that people don't remember about the first. Marvel Knights. Black Panther got published for over 50 issues. That's pretty strong. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially considering that character at that time. No one, you couldn't give that character away. Yeah. yeah. And so at three, Punisher didn't really hit its mark. It didn't find its audience, but you know, three out of four successes when they had failures across the line. Yeah. And everything didn't come from the characters. It came from the creators. Like get, mm-hmm. bring the right creators in and empower them to do it. So my answer is really easy. It only comes from the creators. Why are you messing around with all this other factor? Just let the creators who are good do their thing. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) That's right. Well, because, I mean, we've had some other interviews since this news has continued to evolve. And a lot of the conversations have kind of moved towards don't reward the fans for bad behavior and, you know, it's just Hollywood let it go versus, you know, we're kind of very much in the camp of we want to see what was originally intended to be seen. Right. I, I get that this whole don't award the fans for don't reward people, you know, please don't behave badly, everyone. Calm down for God's sake. Oh, <laughs> you please, you know, like why are you so angry about shit? Like anger is a choice, by the way. And Absolutely. one of the one of the things that people get very frustrated with me about is that I think that anger is a choice and I don't get very angry and it drives them crazy. Ah, I <laughs> like poor. that. Anger is a choice. It is a choice. Anger is a choice that you make and you're entitled to make it if you're going to deal with the consequences of it. Right. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's made our society so divided is that people can be angry online and never have to deal with the consequences of yeah. their anger. They can just hide yeah. behind you know, love monkey 68, you know, and it's right. like, shut up, man. <laughs> keyboard cowboys, keyboard cowboy. Right. And so, yeah, I don't like the, you know, I would say to the people that were toxic and angry and frustrated, calm down guys. Canal, you know, don't worry about it. Like settle down. The ang- anger is not that useful. But yeah. what I would say is that empowering the creator is important. Right. And so, you know, the creators are supposed to come out. We're good at what we do. Yeah. Right. And I, I think it's no surprise that when Marvel were in chapter 11 bankruptcy, they came to me and just went, can you please do that wizardy shit that you do? <laughs> just go do it. You know, we don't know how you do it. We don't know what you do, but go do it. And they let me do it. And it worked out just great. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that just sad that Marvel doesn't know essentially what you do? Like do that wizardry shit. Like yeah. they'll, just tell they'll, the stories. They'll say they do. They'll approximate. Oh, of course. Of course. They, they don't. I mean, none of the editors were trained when I was working there. They, they were all, you know, big fans of comics. That doesn't mean anything. Right, right. Uh, we sit there trying to structure a story and work out their whys, and they we like, oh, I don't know. Is it going to be done by Wednesday? You know? And so I don't see the, you know, there's no, there's no there there. 
right? It's just like they occasionally lock into good creators and they let them do good stuff. Donny Cates, another one, right? They let yeah. Donny do some stuff now. You know, he did really well. They're letting Donny write some stuff. They sure are. And at a certain point, they'll grind them down. You know, they'll tell them to start doing things and Donny will tear his hair out. You know? Yeah. Well, well, I love that uh, you like to do the you like to just get a character and do it. Is there somebody that you haven't written that you've always wanted to like, it could be, you know, that obscure character or it could be, you know, something that you always loved. Like, what is that? What, what was that one you said earlier on? Shadow cat or something? Shadow cat, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. She's, She's the next man. <laughs> no, I'm, no, okay, there is one. There's only one, because I, I couldn't give a monkeys about which one it was. I could care less, man. Give me any character. They're all good. Because it's all a story about people, right? So if you just look at the character and design a character, I hope that doesn't sound, that, that probably sounded really arrogant. I don't mean it to. No, not at all. But it's, it's, um, it's easy to write characters. It's easy to do this job. It's the business that's hard. It's not yeah. the creativity that's hard. Mm. And so there is one, only one character that I wanted to write, but it's okay because he became the sentry in the end anyway. And that's um, when I was working and I first wanted to break in as a writer, I had been given an opportunity to write Hellblazer and I broke in as a writer on Hellblazer in this craziest way. I just went to San Diego and I met the editor and I said, can I write Hellblazer? And he went, what have you written? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you, mate. I have not written anything before, but that, that should be a problem. And so they <laughs> let me try out for it and, wow. I, and I ended up becoming the writer of Hellblazer and I had no idea what I had done. And the fact that Karen Berger and Lou Stathis took a chance on me is crazy. So in those days, I, I pitched immediately to Karen. I was like, you know what? There's this one character that you've got, and I, I see a story in him, and I love it, and that's our man. Yeah. And the story that I wanted to write was that if I had a pill that made me a superhero for an hour a day, I would be so addicted to that that the other 23 hours of my life would be hell, and I would stare at the ceiling and pace and go, I want the drug, I want it back, I want it, I want it, I want it. You finally yeah. get it and you're an hour for an hour, you've got superpowers. And then and then it goes away and now you're messed up again. So yeah. I wanted to write about addiction and it's something that's been in my family a lot and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to write about that, that horrible addiction that you have. And um, Karen said, you know, honestly, at Vertigo, like if even if Alan pitched me Watchmen, I probably would say no at this point. Um, we don't do superheroes, but I like the idea of what you're saying. Maybe you should just kind of think it through and I couldn't get them to let me do Our Man, so I created a new character called The Sentry. And then they turned it down, and they turned it down at DC, and they turned down at Marvel, and they turned it down for years. And then I won an Eisner in the award, then they said, you can do whatever you want. I said, I want to do The Sentry, and they got annoyed with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So The Our Man is the answer. Nice. Can you tell us, I was reading, I think I read something, that you're working on something to do with Commissioner Gordon. Is that right? I just did something to do with Commissioner Gordon. Um, on occasion, I'll go back to DC uh, and write a mainstream comic. Um, so I did a Commissioner Gordon one um, about the kind of, it, it's almost like the problem with it is it's not enough real estate. We did it as a single issue with that Gordon thing. And I think you need a bit more time. But the idea basically being that, you know, when you've been a commissioner of a hellhole like Gotham, right. at a certain point, there's a part of ourselves that we do keep suppressed. That mm -hmm. if, if, if you gave Jim Gordon the truth and said, tell me the truth, he would probably say, burn this place to the ground yeah. and start all over again. But he can't because he has a sense of duty that gets in the way, right? Yeah, yeah. So I did that one with him. Um, the one thing I will tell you is that I am quietly doing uh, a new DC project right now. So Nice. Cannot I don't do a lot of mainstream, you know? 
Yeah. Understandably. So I have to, I guess, pivot. So Uh I just want to go on the record with you that Donatello was my favorite Ninja Turtle. Same here. Me too. Even (laughs) even though red is still my favorite color, Raphael was not. Nope, it was it was Donnie, and just because he was like the science nerd, I love science, and I was like, I want the dude with the stick. That's that's where I'm at. I don't want any cowabungas and all that. I want the dude with the stick, and purple's a cool color. Yeah, mine was always Donatello. I, I love Donatello. He he was great. He was my favorite character too of the four. You know, I was there, man. I guess I was there when it was all coming down. You know, like I love <laughs> a lot of your childhood. A lot of your childhood was like, oh god, I remember when they came out with you know Baxter Stockman figure, and I'm like, yeah, I remember we sat in a room and went, what should we do? I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I, so soul destroying that like. All of the icons of your childhood, we're all sitting there going like, uh, oh, let's make a pizza wagon. All right, goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> let's make a pizza wagon. I love it. <laughs> so let's make a blimp. My introduction to Ninja Turtles was my mom, like, she didn't even know what they were but she knew they were popular. So she bought Rich and I like a couple of t-shirts, but didn't have any idea what it was. And my mom is not a um, fan of violence. So as soon as she found out what the Ninja Turtle was- She's a glorified pacifist, man. Yeah, we couldn't watch <laughs> it. We could very wise woman. My brother and I would play whatever we watch for the next like 23 hours. So if she didn't want us hitting and kicking and you know throwing stuff, you're not gonna watch. Turtles, but we would always, you know, like every other kid, we would sneak in. And my dad was like, All right, so your mom's with your sister at a Girl Scout event for the next four days. We'll go to the toy store. And what do we get? We got (laughs) Ninja Turtles. And it was the figure where the shell opened, so you could keep all the stuff in the shell. Yeah. And I remember it to this day. My mom got home, she's tired from being a troop leader of like 26 year olds what 12 year old girls it's yeah. hard enough and the first thing we just said look what we got and my mom's like Trouble. where's your father where's your i love dad? i love your dad i love your dad because that's literally <laughs> the dad that i am we have a we have a 14 year old and nine year old right and the 14 year old's like he knows he can talk to me about anything it doesn't matter like girls sex stuff you know dungeons and dragons and they're they're all like yeah, my dad gets it. Like, I know more about video games than those two do, right? Yeah. And so, and the nine-year-old will go like, Dad, can we play Fortnite? I'm like, I'm already playing. Come on, join in. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And so it's great, man. It's like, wow. it's like, I'm that dad. And so most of what I do with my two boys, and it's awful, is sort of go, Look, don't tell mom. <laughs> they're lucky to have you. <laughs> Hell yeah, they are. Well, they're very lucky to have their mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and our mom was a school teacher as well, so yeah. there's that. But our dad was he he enjoyed the technology. Like he got the he had the Atari, and you know every now and then we'd set it up and it'd be a huge event. Now I think his last video game experience was killing a dog in a what like what was it words it what game was it rich call of duty words one of the call of duties and he just threw a random grenade and killed a dog he's like oh i killed something like he just said 
I'm not going to stay on this ship anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, you can probably do that in Assassin's Creed by mistake or somewhere and not like it, you know. But, you know, I point to people and say, you know, I've worked in game design and I've innovated in storytelling. Like most people don't realize that part of my life is, you know, I wrote uh, on Soul Reaver with Amy Hennig. You know, she ended up becoming the creative director of Naughty Dog and doing like Uncharted and Last of Us, you know. Where nice. did, those ideas all came from what we did on Soul Reaver. Um, you know, I wrote The Darkness. I wrote those two games. And most people were like, you wrote a few issues of The Darkness and then left. And I'm like, I worked on the games for like seven years, man. <laughs> yeah, I moved out enough of that character. <laughs> but I think it was when you um, played the Ninja Turtles jingle for Kevin. I was like, oh, my God, I am transformed yeah. into this four-year-old kid yeah i was like the the theme song was playing i was like i wanted to sit in the blimp <laughs> i just wanted to sit on the i blimp. didn't even rich and i hated pizza but it was like i i want to like pizza but i yeah. like i want to yeah. like pizza it's funny man it's just like it's so funny being a big part of uh history in comics yeah. like coming in doing Ninja Turtles, right? And then going to Tundra Publishing, which paved the way for Image Comics and wrote the Creators' Bill of Rights. And then going to um, Marvel in bankruptcy and basically resuscitating their entire company. And then being a game designer and working on the innovation of storytelling in game. You know, you see Bioshock and you see see, um, Assassin's Creed, right? Assassin's Creed, you find fragments and tell stories in a certain way. Yeah, well, that game was called Prototype and I created the original materials for Prototype like prototype from Vivendi Universal was Assassin's Creed in terms of some of its design so you know you see the way that these things kind of play out and you realize you've been a part of something pretty big for a long time you know and I got a gray beard now but I'm only just getting warmed up you know you've seen and you've seen so much yeah you've seen so much and you're still so young and still have such great energy about you this just like you said you're just getting started that's right, oh, yeah. just getting started, man. Because like, the, the, there's often a question, and the question is like, do you, I remember when I came on um, Hellblazer and people said, well, you must be worried following Garth Ennis. And I'm like, it's a comic, bro, man. You gotta be <laughs> kidding me. What am I supposed to be worried about? And then we came on to Spider-Man and they said, well, Spider-Man's dead. I mean, you just had to go back to that moment in time. And they said, it's finished. And Mark Buckingham and I were like, well, we haven't had a go at it yet. So why right. is it dead? Like, give us a minute. And it wasn't. We proved it with the first issue that we wrote. You know, people kind of come to me with that first issue even now and they're crying. And I'm like, yeah, two weeks before you bought it, you were like, I hate Spider-Man. It's never going to be any good. <laughs> I got right? And then you buy that first issue. It's all about like him and his Uncle Ben. And he meets, he goes and sits at his Uncle Ben's grave. And you find out that the reason that he knows he can be Spider-Man is because he's a wisecracker. And he beats, he doesn't beat Dr. Octopus with a punch. He always beats him with a wisecrack. And you find out that that's what he got from his Uncle Ben. They played practical jokes on each other all the time. And so now he comes to the grave and he says, Uncle Ben, I don't know if there's anything I can laugh about anymore. I think I'm finished. I don't think I can be Spider-Man. And it was very much talking about how the fans said you can't do Spider-Man right. anymore. So he says, Uncle, he's all mopey and he's sitting by the, sitting on the, you know, by the grave and going, Uncle Ben, oh, I don't think I can do it anymore. There's, I don't even know what's funny anymore. And a car drives by and splashes him with mud and he starts laughing. Ah. And you go, got it. Right. Yeah, so in one, yeah, issue, yeah. in one issue, we disproved the fact that you can't write. It's all about the creators, right? You can do anything yeah. you want to if you're a good creator, I think. Yeah. yeah. I love that everything is real with you, Paul. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real. really. It's just, it's just real life, man. I just love how you would, how you would bring that in, man. Well, I will tell you this, that like, people sort of say to me, how do you do what you do? Right. And I say, I'm good at, I, I live 
right? I don't read a lot of comic books, don't watch a lot of television, don't watch a lot of films, don't, don't play a lot of, I kind of play video games sometimes more than anything. Um, but I live and I observe and then I've just described the things that I've seen, right? Yeah. You know, that's pretty simple for a writer and a creative director and a director, right? You just kind of help describe the things that you've seen. And well, so and that just hit me, man, because just living is like one of the hardest things to do right now. And it's like mm -hmm. people don't know how to do that. Like one of the things, so one, my full-time job is a therapist and just teaching people mindfulness is like a completely, it's like teaching them a foreign language. Mm -hmm. There's just yeah. so much distraction, so much trying not to live that you're almost teaching them the basics and some of that's due to a plethora of things but i love that you're like i'm just living and it's like in this day and age that almost seems divine you know it's yeah. funny i just did an interview to speak a little bit further on that rob like i did an interview recently and it was about spider-man it's about my run on spider-man and the person interviewing me was really into the way that i did mary jane and the marriage right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they asked me what would you prefer they're married or, or not married and i said i don't care man if he's married i can write it and if he's not married i can write that too it's not a problem but when i did write the marriage i happened to be engaged to my wife and so all i did was write the two of us and my wife is funny because she is not a entertainment person she doesn't read what i write she never does um thanks honey. she doesn't care and it's great <laughs> but she's beautiful and funny and 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 honest and got a funny wicked little sense of humor and and all of these things that are great right and um she you know she has this odd way of being she's got a little eccentricity about her as well and so when I would write Spider-Man, I simply would write things that we did and said. We got we were at a convention. Someone's like, Mr. Jenkins, would you come to my wedding today at like San Diego? I'm like, Oh wow. My wife's like, Yeah, let's do it. Man. Oh wow. It's a Klingon wedding. Wow. <laughs> so in the back of a Klingon. And I watched my wife's face and she's like, What the what hell is this? Oh my god. <laughs> and I, I just I played it off because I love playing with her. And I was like, What? What's the problem? <laughs> Oh my god, that's awesome. Did you not know did you not know this was a clear on wedding? Right. And and now I didn't either. But oh my she's gosh. sitting there and she's like, What do you do for a living? Because it was <laughs> like, she'd never been to Oh her. my god. And I'm like, no, this is just I get I go to loads of these, sweetheart. Right? <laughs> and so I would live in a funny way. You gotta be a good catalyst, right? Like I think it's really important. Yes. If I see homeless people and I understand their plight and their difficulty in the situation, I'll go talk to them. I'll give them money even if I know they're going to use it on booze. I don't care. But the only thing I ask them is, can you tell me your name and where you're from? And sometimes they like to talk and just tell you. Last guy I spoke to told me that the reason he was homeless is because um, he was working on flooring. He didn't think he was a very smart guy. He did flooring all of his life. And at a certain point, it smashes your knees up. The yeah, doctor yeah. gave him an open prescription for, for painkillers and it turned him and it made him an addict. And now he is trying to get by, but he can't keep a job, but he's in terrible pain all the time. And, and you have to realize, right, you hear that and you go, yeah, but there, but for a couple of lucky breaks and the grace of God go I, right? Like we'd all be these people. We're not, we're not as far divided as you think. All of my experiences are all of your experiences. Mm -hmm. we're, all, we're all in the same boat, right? Yeah, Which is life is kind of like a you know it's not it's not like a time's not like a river that flows time's like a big lake that you jump into with your eyes closed you start swimming and see where you land 
Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And there's one exit, man. We're all going through the same exit. So, you know, you've got a million ways through it and one way out of it. So why is everybody so... You you have an opportunity today to go... And I don't know if this is like motivation or speaking. It probably should be. But you've got an opportunity today to go do something. Even if, it's, even if it's COVID, even if it's this, even if it's that, right? Whatever's going on, you've got an opportunity to do something. My kid right now is playing too many video games so i bought an airfix model we're going to make a spitfire whether he likes it or not hell yeah man. <laughs> you know, just because he's not doing it so let's go do that do things that you haven't done before you know yeah. more people should think like you paul absolutely i don't know I'm not so is that a loctite or a glue model what are you doing <laughs> it's a glue model man it's an all right the real deal <laughs> I put this model together. No, you didn't. You clicked it together. We're not not clipping the pieces together. No, I'm not preaching to anybody and I'm not the shining example of humanity. But I think I've figured a lot of things out. Like, go back to what I said. Like, anger is a choice. Right. I don't choose to be angry, but I I could be. There there are certain times when I, I approximate it or feel like it because I feel like it's going to affect change. Right. And, um, I can think of a particular incident. Um, it's not too hideous, but it was, um, there was a guy that was an internet reporter, right? In air quotes. Imagine those <laughs> of you listening in the deep seats that I just did air quotes. <laughs> he was an internet reporter and he did uh, this article about somebody that I knew and basically questioned their parentage, right? And that to me seems out of bounds, especially because I happen to know that creator was an orphan. And I found it to be very hurtful. And this person was doing it from the, you know, the comfort of their living room, writing personal things about somebody that I cared about, a friend. Right, right. And so then they had the audacity to show up at the Marvel booth in and, and kind of pretend like, oh, it's all's fair in love and war. And they did that f- until the 10 seconds that I picked him up by the scruff of his neck and threw him up against a wall and held him there. And all of a sudden... He was very scared and very worried and flailing. And, and you know what his answer was? And I would, I would have had more respect for him if he just said, okay, man, I messed up or, or even get lost. Right? right. But he said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm like, it's in print, mm. dude. Like, you know, Jesus. come on. Right. So that was anger. And it was a choice that I made. I felt that that was like, you need to learn a lesson, pal. You know, you need me to get you up against the wall for a minute. And, and, uh, you know, come on, man. Like, don't, don't be shitty to people. You know? Yeah. Mark, I feel like you're that kind of friend for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Rob, you're blood, so you're definitely going to do that for me. <laughs> we shared a womb, man. I got it. <laughs> Rob, Rob, is, Rob is the source of all your anger. <laughs> if you only knew, Paul. I bet. I can see it. At that point, Paul, there is really, truly, there isn't really anything that would make me hate this person. You know? Rich and I have disagreed on a lot of things but we are truly blessed i'm blessed to have him in my life because we could be like this is bullshit i fundamentally disagree with you all right so what else is going on like, yeah, yeah. i think this is kind of a guy thing right and i've often explained this to my wife because she she always does this thing of like i don't get it how do you do this thing and i was said so a few things you need to understand if you're a guy, right? Number one, the world is our toilet, right? You just want to go, I'm going over there. I'm going behind a tree. It's really hard for you. Second thing is that we don't care. So we wake up, we just look in the mirror, you know, but most of us sort of like, yeah, I look good. So all of these things are much easier for us. I think that's very part of male privilege. Um, and, <laughs> it is. and so my wife is, is like, 
is often struggling. And so she doesn't understand, like, how do you guys do that? Like, how do you, like, you'd be like mad at each other and then go, all right, anyway, let's have a beer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I said, I think there's this kind of thing. They say this in Georgia. They're like, you got two guys and, you know, it's three or four guys are hanging like we are and, and they go, oh, yeah, shut up, fart face. Oh, you're ugly. You're stupid. All right. And then the guy walks away and they go, I love that guy. Right? <laughs> yeah. And she says, you know, like the girls all hang out and they go, like, oh, my God, you look beautiful today. I love your hair. I love your makeup. I love your eyes. And then she walks away and goes, I hate that bitch. <laughs> I hate it. I don't know. Girls are daddy, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I don't understand the other way around, right? Like, we get it off our chest. And so one of the things that happened was when I met my wife, I thought, well, I can't mess this up because I finally found the one, like, and I better not mess this up. So I did the most drastic thing that I've ever done in my life. I watched an hour of the Oprah Winfrey show to try and work out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> to try to work out what the hell women thought because I was really confused by women. <laughs> And so I watch it and there's this guy and he does this book. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? Yeah, heard of it. And the premise of it is that apparently back in history, women were all from a planet Venus and they think differently than than men and men are all from Mars or some stupid thing like that. I don't know what it goes on about. (laughs) But the idea was that women are tend to have a, is it compartmentalized brain or we have a compartmentalized brain, whatever it is, men tend to physically or physiologically have a one track kind of approach. Because I don't think it makes any sense that in the world of darts or professional pool, why do the men always beat the women? And they do. The, the top professional men will beat the women, but that shouldn't, there's no physical element of that. But it, right. it tends to be because of the specific laser focus that men are able to conjure for some reason. And then, and then women are able to see lots and lots of things at the same time and men can't, right? And that's, nope, that's right. a big generality, but it was just this thing that this guy was saying. And I'm like, so he said what well, he said, um, women don't want you to solve their problems. Like if they come home from work and their boss is really mean, they don't want you to say, well, kick him in the face then, which is what guys would say. They want you to say, um, oh, I understand how you feel. Right. And I'm watching this and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, that's not true. No one wants to be told. I understand. <laughs> Everyone will see through that. Well, funnily enough, that evening, my girlfriend at the time, my wife to be, comes home, she's a teacher, and she starts going off about, oh, the principal in my school. And I said, oh, I understand how that makes you feel. I think I'm making a joke, right? I understand how that makes you feel. Oh, that must make you, you must feel bad. About half an hour into it, she looks at me and she goes, you're the best listener of any guy I've ever met. Wow, (laughs) it works, it works. (laughs) Who knew, guys? Who knew? It works. Actually listen to, to women, and so, I learned how to listen to people other than, I'd, I'd always been okay at it, but it was, it's always good to listen to people that you don't think are you at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, I think the best thing that we can do to listen to people would be, it's almost like a political thing now. Listen to the people that don't, so, so we'll go back to it for just one second. I feel like, let's say that you pick the people that have sort of voted for Donald Trump and you really say don't, right? You're like, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't know why he is. I feel really angry at the people that voted for him. I understand the difficulties of it, but if you can't ask yourself the question, well, why did they vote for that guy? And what do they think yeah. now? And are they under assault by their own cognitive dissonance? And you know, now that Donald Trump seems to be collapsing under the weight of the kind of silliness, it's harder for those people to go, oh yeah, I, I made a mistake. They're not gonna say that. They're gonna go, no, I'm gonna double down. That's my guy. And it doesn't matter what he does, they're building that, right? Yep. So we should listen 
we should listen to people who who are on either extreme but we shouldn't listen that hard because most everybody else is not even in those extremes right right we're in the middle sitting there watching it bewildered going shut up yeah yeah well paul i'm full man I love you. Serious, I seriously, you have this conversation really has been great. You have such a worldly view of things. Your background, your upbringing, where you come from, really has totally added to our conversation and totally makes up who you are. And you just haven't forgotten where you come from, and that totally comes through your views on things and the way you work. And it's been a privilege to talk to you. Really, Absolutely. I've really enjoyed it, guys. I, I like this kind of conversation. It's a bit more straightforward than. Uh, Let's ask you about like Daredevil number 53 and I'll go, I can't remember that one. <laughs> and you know, and we've had those kind of conversations with our guests, but also our guests really enjoy your kind of conversation also, the realness, you know what I'm saying? Talking yeah. about your children, what you do with your children. So a lot of our readers, uh, our listeners have written in saying that they like, they like this kind of back and forth realness. So we appreciate yeah. that. Good. Well, great. Thank you. I appreciate that too. Can I have a uh, talking I- for like an hour, but... You've touched me, and I really appreciate it, man. Well, we'll, we'll do it again sometime. We Besides, really do. Okay, guys. Well, listen, anytime, man. I'll come back on again sometime, and we'll, we'll do it again. You know, there's loads of stuff to talk about in the world. Let's do it. Maybe we'll do a live event on the Ogre's Facebook page or something. So. Yeah, we can do that. I think that would be fun to do one on the Ogre. And we're, we're going to do some more, um, you know, when I, in a minute, once I'm through this, uh, this uh, Kickstarter thing, which is particularly difficult, we will get back to the Meta Studios YouTube and we will try to get to the story behind the story. I think people love those. Yeah. I think the way that I'm going to do it is to do it in a streamed version now to line up my photos of any individual issue to talk to someone across the ether like we're doing. Because yeah. if I just film myself, it doesn't seem very real, but it's nice to talk to people about that. Kind right. of thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, guys. Appreciate it, Paul. You're Thank the man. You, Take care. Be safe. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. See you. Take Bye-bye. care. All right, guys, that was the one and only Paul Jenkins. What a dude, man. I feel, like I told him, I feel full and I felt he's just a great dude, man. What a story. What a story he has to tell. And anger is a choice, fellas. I'm going to remember that, too. Yeah, we walked away with that. I mean, his upbringing, where he came from, he came to America with $50. He had nothing, and look what he's become. What a great guy. I mean... Just some of the things he described, how he lives, I think it speaks to, it's like he can see through the bullshit, right? Right. Like, and uh, not a lot of people can do that. And I'll be honest, I don't see through the bullshit all the time. And it makes life hard. And man, if we live our lives a little more like Paul Jenkins, might be a little bit easier. I meant it when I said his kids are lucky to have him. You know what I mean? Uh, who, Who has the father that has that came from where he came from appreciates where he is and can see through the bullshit but still he said it himself his 14 year old son can talk to him about anything yep that's powerful that's very very powerful powerful. well and just that that duality right like being able to understand your roots be humble about your roots right and then you come over here and you can be informed by that or shun it away and he's like no i'm gonna gonna be me and that's it sounds simple but that's so hard you know like there's so much i gotta be the person that i think people want me to be it's like no let's move through that bullshit so i highly recommend anybody to read his hellblazer run great i read it right after i read alan moore's swamp thing so 
where Constantine came from. He is definitely, he's got his, he's got his writing style, man. Inhumans was great. Um, and uh, Origin was fantastic. Origin was phenomenal. That dipshit in Vancouver talking shit about him. <laughs> what an idiot. That was a epic, heartbreaking story, but excellent. Very excellent. And the fact that he puts himself into his work, I mean, is just phenomenal. You know, the saying is, all great writing comes from the truth. Correct. And so, do you or do you not know your own truth? Yeah. All right. So let's swing it in the who would win segment time, boys. So um, we're just going to throw out a matchup um, and we'll just talk about it for a quick minute and then uh, we'll let you guys go. So, Rob, who is our official how are we going to say this is our first one or our second one since we talked to the comic book men guys and we redrafted the well so i think this will be our first one right because that was you know firmly cemented in the original DC. so breaking news first matchup is <clears throat> well since i'm picking of course batman's in there batman versus um snake eyes from gi joe Ooh, Ooh good one <clears throat> and that was actually as you recall, I, I probably not. Maybe you do. That was one of the last man standing in standings in Wizard. It was. I remember that. Ooh, that's a good one, man. Um, Snake Eyes is a an expert with the sword. Um, I mean, he's a trained so, ninja, so just a, like Batman. I mean, Batman can go toe to toe with the one and only Denny O'Neill created Rachel Ghoul. Right. With the League of Assassins. Um, I don't. Snake Eyes started as a kid. I mean, as a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Snake Eyes doesn't talk. So he's uh, so totally focused. He's totally focused, you know. But didn't it, Batman start as a kid? Sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> Not as a martial arts person, what are you talking about? Uh, that's a good, that is a really good matchup. Um, I think that Snake Eyes is and i'm no snake eyes expert here but i mean he's a ninja so he has that deception factor which i think is in all reality where batman gets his deception and disappearing act and you know distraction aspect man that's a good one i don't even know where to take it from there like there's where i mean obviously batman's got way more gadgets um snake eyes I mean, is he held to the same moral compass of cannot kill? I don't think so. Probably I don't think not. so. I mean, he's chopping up Cobra Cobra dudes. Yeah. Shit. I'll I'll throw my part in after you guys weigh in. So I'm go gonna Mark. go with I'm gonna go with Snake Eyes. I'm gonna go with Snake Eyes. I mean, he started as a little kid, and that that ninja martial arts training is just ingrained in him. That although Batman is excellent and the best at what he does i think i snake eyes has got to let i mean he's totally 100 focused he doesn't talk i mean he's got that like monk kind of ninja the himalayan kind of like training again it's just like ingrained and in, it's in his dna i mean he started when he was like five or something i i gotta go i gotta give it to snake eyes and snake eyes although he's a master swordsman he's got gadgets and things too being with gi joe and all that i mean he's yeah. got gadgets of his own you know too so i gotta give this to snake eyes um i think that the ninja factor is 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 it's up there with starting from five and on um i don't want to forget the fact that batman 
has the the league of us the am i saying that right they're the league of assassins right mm-hmm. um he was ingrained in that philosophy he trained across the world in all aspects of hand-to-hand combat um so i think he would have the ability to outmaneuver in certain respects um i don't i don't think in reality batman's a big talker either when he's doing when he's doing his business i think he's got far more gadgets and far more um reserves when it comes to the deception factor if he wants to do if he wants to unleash his full on arsenal if we're going to the death let's just say that much which i don't know if you could even consider that in the in in the fight i'm i'm just throwing it out there i just i think batman's been trained by the best so i'm gonna go with batman so again i'm not a snake eyes expert but we're Mm. talking one of the most deadly you know ninjas you know in our nerddom right yeah i think where batman um takes it up a notch it's like batman is the like world's best in multiple categories right so genius so there's a lot of intellect there's a lot of um strategy there's a lot of um detective skills right Right. and in terms of like martial arts and again i think it's whoever you, you know you could pretty much say he does everything but you know he's got not just karate but you know aikido boxing judo kung fu like he's been trained by some of the experts of all of those disciplines so i think in terms of i sure wish they would fighting, I, I wish they would write him like that i know <laughs> you know what i mean I like we all know he possesses all these things and he's not written that way hardly at all that's anymore. what's frustrating yep so i think from a criminology standpoint a um philosophy standpoint the fact that batman won't kill i actually think that's what makes him the strongest character because Mm. it demands that he has control and i think that takes down even somebody as skilled as snake eyes because he doesn't have to have that balance does that make sense yeah right so i think from a martial arts standpoint, I still have to give it to Batman because there's more disciplines there. He can integrate. He's more eclectic. If I got to move from a defensive to an offensive, if I got to get like ghetto and start headbutting, like I'm going to do that too, right? And weaponry, I, I, I'm i with you, Mark. I think they're pretty evenly matched. Right. I mean, I'm sure with Wayne Tech, there's some more advanced weaponry, but Agreed. When it comes to the fighting, you know, they'll probably go toe-to-toe for a while, gadget-wise. Um, Snake Eyes has... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Snake Eye also being with the Joes, he's got that war, you know, combat, military, in the battlefield training also. You know what I'm saying? With all those different kind of distractions and... Batman's yeah. like, that's my Wednesday night, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think strategy, I don't know. I just think Batman wins this one. But I, I, if I remember correctly, the last man standing, <clears throat> Batman like knocks him unconscious. And then he turns around and I think it was like on a rooftop is the rest of the Joes. So now Batman's got to deal with the rest of the Joes. So <laughs> that was a nice touch. <laughs> so we're going to go with two versus one. So Batman wins the first who would win. So I think that we need some feedback here, folks. So Heck yeah. did we get it right or did we get it wrong? 
I mean, and what do you think? So please write in. Yeah, absolutely. At uh, Heroes Home Base at Gmail or hit us up on Facebook, Heroes Home Base Podcast. Great show, guys. I mean, but before we skip on, like, these are the types of conversations that, again, we've said it on here before, brought us together, right? Like, these are the, yeah. like, the basement conversations. Well, your Green Lantern isn't going to be, you know, my Green Lantern. And, you know, who would win this battle? And it's like, this is like some of the heart and soul of comic and even sci-fi fandom, right? Agreed. Yep. This could I want to hear this could go on thoughts. forever. Yeah. We can do this forever, absolutely. All right, until next time, this is Rich. This is Mark. This is Rob. We say this at the end of, wow, can I say that again? I don't know. <laughs> this is Rob. We talk about this at the end of each episode, but we really, we want to hear from you guys. You really almost have endless choices of things you can listen to. We are honored that you would pick us uh, to listen to and, you know, hit subscribe um, on any of your pod streaming apps of choice um hit a like subscribe comments send us an email here's home base at gmail facebook page here's home base love to hear your comments and get in on the conversation let's kind of do what paul jenkins said let's let's have some conversations with people even if you think i'm crazy that batman would beat snake eyes or you know you're in mark's corner or whatever we want to hear from you and we thank you for uh listening to us once again Thank you again for listening and supporting this RMR production.